What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the All Pistons podcast. My name is Neil Sena, joined alongside with Vinayak Sroop and Aiden Mulcrone. And today, we have a very, very, very special guest in Jack Kelly. He's a writer for the Detroit Bad Boys. We see him all the time on Twitter, gives some great tweets with that little 313 segment that he does on Twitter. Jack, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you so much for having me on, guys. Really excited to uh, chat some Pistons hoops. Of course, of course. And so, yeah, the Pistons were recording this the day after they lost to the Boston Celtics for the second time. And so it's kind of been a little bit of a rough start to the season for Detroit, sitting at 3-11, and not, not the best record. But, Jack, let me ask you this. What are your thoughts kind of on this Pistons team as a whole, and where are they headed? Um, I think for starters, I sort of, I, I, I sort of got some of the buzz around potentially pushing for the plane and those expectations, but heading into the season, uh, realistically, I always was expecting around that 27 to 28 win mark. So I think the most disheartening thing so far for fans has probably just been the continuous blowouts that have still, still occurred. Um, I think people were hoping that was sort of something that was not going to be as frequent after last season. But the roster, we still haven't had the roster fully healthy for one match this season. Um, the, the defense has been disappointing, but I think we've seen growth. I mean, Jaden Ivey appears to be everything we thought he'll be. Jalen Duran appears more ready than most thought he would be. Um, Bogdanovich has been a great addition. There's been some really cool internal growth. Um, Cade's been up and down, but I think everything's still on track. I mean, Troy Weaver's always cited that the summer of 2023 is when this team will look to sort of make some major acquisitions and start to, I guess, build towards some form of contention. Um, so I, I'm still positive. I'm not giving up hope or I don't think any of these picks are, yeah, I think Troy Weaver, everything's on track and, yeah, it's, it's just all about being patient as a fan. And I know that's hard, especially after three and a half seasons of 20-game win seasons. But, yeah, this is just what a rebuild is and you can't rush it. Um, so, yeah, there's ups and downs. But on the whole, I think everything's still on the right track. Yeah, definitely fair. I mean, you know, this is a very, very young team. Just as you said, a lot of players are either in their first, second, or third seasons in the NBA. And so really young team, very inexperienced team, you know, those are recipes to struggle like they have been. And so, you know, Vinayak and Aiden, let me ask you guys this. Do you think that this team turns it around the rest of this season and maybe starts to get their name towards the playing contention or what happens there? I don't think so. I think, uh, I don't think playing, I definitely see a little turnaround. Like I think they'll, get on a streak I I kind of similar to last season I kind of see them um going on a run like where they're like kind of playing somewhat 500 basketball to get to like Jack you mentioned the 27 28 wins like I think that's like pretty agreed on I think that's like I agree as well I think the Pistons will be in that win but I think it'll be later to the season where, where they'll get those wins so I I don't really they are going to get healthier and I expect to see strides made but man this schedule so far is unforgiving um, they they're about to go on their west. They're going on the Western Conference road trip. They're going to have to play tough teams like Lakers, Clippers, which is always tough on the road. Although Lakers have been bad, but <laughs> on the road, I was going to say the Lakers. You sure? Lakers have been bad, but you know, on the road, you can Pistons and road games. They just don't mesh that well recently. So I was I was giving the other team the benefit of the doubt, but um, yeah, I think a lot of growing pains, but like. Like uh, Jack said, like I'm still optimistic. There's strides. Jaden Ivey looks good. Killian Hayes has gone back into form recently. So there are things to definitely be optimistic about. Yeah, I mean, I think we all preach this. It's just about being a young team. And when you start the season where you played already Boston twice, you played Philly, uh, Golden State. I mean, even though they beat them, Milwaukee other teams like that. I think that's that's hard. And a lot of those have been on some back-to-back -back nights too, which for a young team, you know, Jaden Ivey is going from playing, you know, 36 games a year to playing a full 82. And, you know, adjusting to that is not easy. 
and everyone has a different you know time frame of when they when they get fully adjusted and I don't think he's completely there yet and I think even even Cade's not there yet I mean we've seen his his uh problems with being consistent for the past week or two and obviously now he's out with the injury and yeah I mean I think again like we're aiming around that 30 win total uh over under like yeah around there so I think I think it will get better eventually but yeah I wouldn't expect a playing game this year yeah, I mean, you know, I think at the beginning of the year, the record prediction that I think all three of us had was like 28, 29. I know I said 30, but I was being a lot more optimistic. Um, I think, listen, this team, we knew this was going to be a problem early on just in terms of youth and inexperience, but also the schedule, just as you guys mentioned. It's been a very difficult schedule. They played, as we said in the last episode, each of the top four teams in the Eastern Conference for a combined six games already. And so... And they've played a couple of those teams tough, like Milwaukee one time, Atlanta one time as well. But, you know, it's it just it hasn't been clicking. It's going to be hard to also win games against these good teams when you approach crunch time in the fourth quarter. But they'll start to learn how to do that throughout the season. I think one of the things that I said in an article, um, you know, on the All Pistons website was that I think from the all-star break to the end of the season, I could see this team playing above 500 basketball. I'm not saying their record will get to about 500 just for, you know, mid-February to mid-April. I think they could be playing very competitive basketball, which is, you know, everything that Pistons fans should want. I know, of course, there's going to be the Wemanyama people and so on, but it's just about this team getting better. Jack, let me ask you this, though. The two main guys on this rebuild now have to be in the backcourt, Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. There's been a lot of questions, me being one of them, uh, or me being one of those people bringing them up. Do those two fit together that well? What, what do you think on that subject? I think the fit's fine. I think the beauty of Cade Cunningham is that his archetype of player is he can fit alongside pretty much any sort of prospect you want to bring in. He's such a malleable piece. I think the thing for Cade is just getting that three-point shot back to what it was at Oklahoma State. Um, but I think as a fit on paper, they definitely fit alongside each other, two jumbo-sized guards or playmakers. Um, Kate's got the wingspan, might not have the athleticism Ivy has, but in terms of their build, stature and game, I think they fit really well together. Um, obviously, they're young. Kate's a pretty good off-ball defender, but they both can get caught like ball-watching and stuff that young players do the swing factor is going to be can they build a consistent jump shot from three and i'm not even talking off the dribble i'm just also catch and shoot one of the main things i cited for Cade coming into the year was um lots of people were wanting to see the free throws attempts and that rise which i think is fair but i'm not sure if a player of Cade's the way he plays and his stature if that's ever going to be a heavy feature i wanted to see his catch and shoot threes rise from 31, 32% because playing alongside Jade and Ivy, we've seen the penetration he gets, the drive and kick opportunities he creates. There's going to be a ton of open looks there for Kate playing alongside Ivy and vice versa for Jaden. So if they can get the three ball um, up to at least just league average efficiency, which I think Jaden's actually at 35% now after last night's game. But yeah, that's a swing factor. And I think, I think the fit's fine. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely fair. You know, we we touched on it in the last episode that we had of Jaden Ivey's shot mechanics. And, you know, there's certain things that I really believe that they'll have to change just because it's kind of a slower, slower shot, a lower release point. And he kind of has more of a push shot. But in terms of exactly what you said, in catch and shoot, he's shooting – his, his overall numbers from behind the arc have been pretty solid. Like you said, 35%. That's, that's very solid, especially rookie year. Um, but I think his catch and shoot is like 25% from three. I think that was going into last night. So that's definitely going to be something that they'll be looking at a ton because just as you said, Kate's a great playmaker. And so there's going to be times where they're trying to feed off of each other. Right. And find, you know, Kate's dribbling into the lane and tries to kick it out to Ivy and Ivy's got to catch that and put it right up rather than putting it down. 
So, yeah, I don't know. Vinay, Aiden, we, we've, we've talked about this a lot. I don't even know if there's any new points that you guys have to make, to be honest, on this. I do have I have a question for uh, for Jack actually about this fit. So actually two questions. So one is, do you think there's some like with Cade's shot? Like, do you think it's something like mechanically or do you think it's he's just going through like a slump right now? Which is also that's also been kind of I feel like a lot of Pistons fans are like, oh, you know, John Beeline's changed his shot, which I don't I don't really want to put stock into. I feel like it's more like a slump. Do you think do you see like anything wrong? I guess. In well, his shot? Yeah. Like, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it, it's. It's interesting you ask that because I don't know why. I was just watching Cade College highlights last night and that shot, his three-point shot is definitely, they changed the mechanics. I don't know if the Pistons did or he did yeah. prior to coming into the NBA, but it looks a tad different. Um, and I think it was changed for good good reason. Um, so I'm not sure because the thing with Kate is even closing last season, even though he played really well from say mid Feb onwards or whatever that stretch was, he was still shooting sub 30% from three, I believe. So I think the three point shot, there is reason to be concerned. I think it, it will fix itself in time, but I don't think this is just a slump. Um, maybe some of it could be conditioning because a lot of the time his shot looks really flat. Yeah. And as soon as it, it just looks like a flat shot in general. But look, I'm I'm far from uh, whatever you want to call it, a shooting coach. So, but I do think there's definitely been a change. So, I think it's a bit more than just a slump. Yeah, for sure. And then my other question was, uh, so this podcast has been pretty heavy on the Benedict Matherin, you know, love, and we throw a lot of love towards Benedict Matherin. And with this fit question, we've we've talked about on our pod about would we have rather ha- would Cade have been better served playing with a guard who may not have, let's say, the high ceiling of Ivy, but a more so just a score, a player that can just score the ball, probably shoot the ball better than Ivy. Although you mentioned Ivy's shooting pretty decent league average about from three. Do you, do you think like, but you've said Kate is malleable. Do you think uh, your thoughts on kind of like the Benedict Matherin situation? And yeah. I'd be interested to see like, would you think it would have been a better fit with Kate? And is there like an, if there is like an ideal player that would fit with Kate, what would you think of that to be as well? We'll see. I think if you wanted to go first 10 games of this season, sure, Ben Mathman would look better. The questions with Ben Math coming into the draft, and because I really liked him, but he was never really mentioned in that top four to five. Yeah. I could be wrong. There's probably some mocks that had him, but the concerns were he couldn't really create off the bounce. Couldn't really, you know, he was a really good off-ball player, had the athleticism, showed some stuff defensively, but the reason Ivy was ranked high is because and don't get me wrong, Jaden has a lot to work on on ball, but he was projected as a much better on ball creator. Now, Ben Math's come into the league and looked, he's already averaging 20 points a game. Like he's looking like an absolute start and that's amazing. But it's, I think the thing I love about Jaden and Cade is we can sometimes get caught up in just picturing these guys sharing the court together for the full 48 minutes, which is never the reality. No. You can have these guys you know, they're going to start the game together and close, but throughout the game, you can have them playing, uh, yeah, not alongside each other, running with the bench unit, and you're always going to have that on-ball creator on the court. Um, ben Math may well be just a better player. I still think Jaden, we're not going to know until year three, year four. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're both, I think they're both going to be studs. Um, and I think it's just, yeah, we just need to give it a couple of seasons. I think Ben Math's a more ready-made player um, right now to look good in the NBA. Yeah, and we should we should clarify that too because we we did a lot of content over the summer of scouting reports on these guys, and it's you know it's so early to really decide. Oh, Matherin's better than Ivy in the long term because that's the other thing. Just as you said, Ivy is the thing with him is the raw tools are there. Everything is there for this guy to be an absolute superstar. Matherin, he's an NBA-ready player out of college, as we you know clearly see, but the questions will be on his ceiling. And I think, you know, I've heard a lot of Matherin interviews actually recently, and he models his game kind of after Lou Dort and Jimmy Butler. And so it's just, it's a different type of game, right? But you brought up a good point of staggering their minutes because that's something that I know we've talked about over and over on this podcast. Um, is is there a problem with the coaching of this team? Like, is it Dwayne Casey 
Or is it again a situation of this is a really young team, a really inexperienced team? I think I think the Casey stuff is mostly nonsense. The stuff you see online on Twitter. I think it's just overreactions, fans disappointed in who had expectations of this team competing. But I th- look, there's I've been a few rotation things here and there that I think could be worked on. But I think on the whole, Alec Burks has played one game. Uh, Marvin Bagley just debuted last night. Uh, as you mentioned in the open, like five or six, even seven of the team's 10 rotation players are all in year one, two or three. And your lead ball handlers are in year one and two. I guess Killian Hayes in year three. So this team at a point, it's it's purely about development. It's hard. You know, Casey's got to run, uh, walk this fine line of trying to maintain the confidence of and keep the vibe high in the team because he's going to ride these guys on every mistake. They're just, it's, it's going to diminish their confidence. It's just a really tricky balance. And yeah, I guess I just think Casey has such a great relationship with Weaver Troy Weaver and Tom Gores, clearly, because when most GMs come in, it's not, you know, sometimes they want to clean house and start their own coaching stuff. So there's obviously a good relationship there. There's a plan in place. And I think it would be foolish to probably fire Casey mid-season. I think because he's got one year left on his deal, maybe it's a conversation over the off-season. But I think for right here and now, where this team's at, the age demographic, I think... I think Dwayne's fine. And the stuff I've seen about him not being able to develop players is just one of the laziest agendas because he's given he, every time we've had rookies, he's given them opportunity. I mean, Bruce Brown, I don't know if you remember him back in 2018-19, he started immediately. So Dwayne's never been shy about giving these rookies a long leash to prove themselves. So, yeah, there's some things he could probably change. I mean, historically, he's being the Raptors fans will tell you he struggled to take timeouts at the right time and rotation things, but I think he's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think think you touched on it about his relationship with Troy Weaver, and I think that that's really important because when he was first hired by the Pistons, you know, it was like the Reggie Jackson, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, like snuck in an eight seed and got swept by the Bucks, and he didn't really want to do a rebuild. But now I think he's going to see this rebuild through for at least the next year or two um, before he thinks about, you know, retirement or maybe a different uh, role with the Pistons. But I think that Troy Weaver, Weaver relationship, you know, is the reason he's still here and not somewhere else. And I think that that's something important, like important to think about and yeah, I mean, you talk you talk about the the player development. I mean, I think not a not a whole lot of people knew uh what Killian Hayes was gonna be. I think, and so I mean, I feel like yeah, it is a little bit of a lazy take because yeah. you know every time every time you draft someone, you're taking a chance. So it's well, not just yeah. Just to add to that, so I went and checked how many coaches there are on the Detroit Pistons. So there are alone five developmental coaches that all they do is player development. And there's actually 18 coaches on the staff as a whole. So yes, Dwayne's the lead man, but it's just, there is so much more that goes into this coaching staff than just Dwayne Casey working on the fundamentals. Like that's just not how any of this works. Um, So uh, I just wanted to add that in because I think it's just a really lazy assessment, I think. Yeah, you know, I completely agree. Um, you know, I got the chance to actually talk to John Pine over the summer, and you kind of get to understand the inner workings of this team and, in general, an NBA team, and it's a good point. I think people can harp on Dwayne about, you know, the rotations, the in-game management, and so on, and I think there's some valid arguments there because you can argue that a lot of his offensive and defensive sets have been – just there, there's not too much going on. And he tried at the beginning of the preseason, I, you know, I was going to ask you about this too, of crazy amount of defensive switching. And they tried that in the preseason. It failed miserably, but it was just an experiment just to see how that works. And if the Pistons maybe have a personnel 
to switch more often than most teams. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a solid argument there that they need to, you know, change things up. They need more off ball movement um, in general, just some more uh, interesting offensive sets in the half court. But let me ask you with the other side, the defense, what's, what's wrong with the Pistons defense? They have the worst defensive rating in the whole NBA. And it's funny because they haven't been switching as much recently. I know people want to continue to say that just because of the preseason, but that's not actually true when you watch the games, because there's a lot of times where they're forced into switching off pick and rolls and so on. Um, but yeah, what's, what's happened with this defense in the half court? It honestly just comes down to communication. Like this, I highlighted a few clips in my thread this morning, um, but there's just Jaden Ivey, Sadiq Bay. Am I, it's just it's young players not understanding where to be, where to communicate, closing out too hard or not closing out at all. I know this stuff is almost boring to talk about and listen to, but it's really just the basics of man-to-man defense. And, and you're right. They haven't really, since the preseason and maybe opening night, um, Stu and Duran have been in mainly drop coverage. The only time they've switched is when the guards haven't communicated with them well and they're forced to switch on pick and roll. So it's honestly, if you go back, I could highlight 10 to 15 clips, probably more every game where people aren't picking up someone in transition. Like it's really basic stuff. Um, just the overall awareness at times. Um, and then some of it's just personnel, like Sadiq Bay and Bogdanovich, they aren't going to stop many people on the perimeter. That's just is what it is. That's their athletic profile. That's their build. That's that's purely a personnel thing. Um, so I'm not sure when that starting lineup changes, if at all. But um, yeah, I think it's a mixture of personnel, awareness, experience. I don't think it's fair to fully just jump on the coaching stuff, the schematical stuff. Um, I think they have. I think they switched a lot last year because of a personal thing because they didn't really have a true big. So Stu's going to be better at switching. Marvin Bagley is better at switching. Not that he's great at it, but he's a much better switch defender than he drops. So I guess that's my thoughts. The defense has been rough though. Uh, yeah. Yeah, lots of self-inflict. I would say I would describe it as just self-inflicted errors, not necessarily even coaching. They just they just keep shooting themselves in the foot. But you mentioned something that was interesting about personnel. So what what would you would you change anything about the Sadiq Bay Bogdanovich lineup? Do you think like perhaps move one to the bench or would you say is it more of a communication it's, thing? It is tricky. It's because the defense is gonna struggle while that's yeah. while you're while you're while your front line, like you could say Stu's probably the only good defender in the starting lineup. Cade mm-hmm. can show flashes, but sometimes he's just out of gas, um, has some lapses. Jaden Ivey and Sadiq struggle, I think, and Bogdanovich struggles as well. So I think it's tricky because before the season, I mean, this said silly saying it would improve the defense, but I was looking to see maybe Marvin Bagley start at the four and then Sadiq at the three. But with the way Bogdanovich has played, you can't bench him. There's yeah. no – that would be – that would hurt the offense. <laughs> exactly. So, But it's also tricky because you can't – if you're Dwayne, you're trying to keep – confidence high like do you bench Sadiq Bay who's been a starter for pretty much I can't remember when he started starting in his rookie season but he's pretty much been a regular starter so it's tricky I think I'm sort of expecting we should finally once K comes back the whole roster should be relatively healthy I think Dwayne will probably give it another five to ten games same starting lineup and then maybe look to make a change because yeah, you can't consistently be giving up 120 points a night and have the worst defensive rating. At some point, you have to make a change. So, yeah, I'm, sorry, to answer your question, I was just going to say, I think I, I would say the most likely candidate at the start, it would be maybe Bagley or maybe Duran. Who knows? Yeah. Would you see, could you see like a four, like Isaiah Stewart at the four and then Duran at the five? Is that something that could like... But then I'd love that- to see that. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Um, I don't know how well it would work to start yeah. with. It'll be it'll be choppy, like we saw Bagley and Duran last night, and that's going to take some time because mm-hmm. I would actually with that lineup, I'd prefer to see Bagley being used as a screener 
because I don't think Duran's actually that great as a role man right now. He's got some stuff to learn, but um, yeah, I'd love to see these two big man lineups because clearly there's a there's a focus from Trey Weaver and the coaching staff to utilize those guys together. Sure, Neil, were you? Yeah, gonna... you... yeah. no, I was just gonna say that that I mean, you kind of you kind of took it right out of my mouth right there because that that's exactly what we've been talking about too over the summer because it seemed like when they took Jalen Duran, um, they wanted to groom him into the starting five. And then there was this whole process with Isaiah Stewart of trying to figure out his three-point shot over the summer. And it seemed like they were really going to try to put Beef Stew at the four and Duran at the five. And they did that briefly in the summer league. And then, you know, I mean, very briefly, literally just like two games. But it seemed like that was where they were going. And then the Bogdanovich trade came out of nowhere two weeks or a week before the preseason. Um, and so – do we do you think like the Pistons go back to trying to do that? Do, I know you kind of literally just answered it just because it's hard with Bogdanovich and Sadiq Bay there because you'd have to send one of those guys to the bench. And especially with Bogdanovich getting that extension, it becomes even harder. But I mean, why? I guess maybe let me ask you this. Why why do you think that could work for a front court for this team with Beef Stew at the four and Durant at the five? Well, I think. Stu's clearly he can handle guys on the perimeter when he's switched out. I think you have the rebounding is off the charts. Offensively, um, it would be it would be choppy to start. Um, just trying to figure out where to be on the floor at all times. But I mean, after struggling his first five games, Stu shot forty percent across his last nine from three. So that stroke, it was looking a bit sketchy there, but the stroke appears to be pretty solid. So I think offensively you'd be looking at just running a ton of pick and roll with Duran and Kate or Ivy and then Stu just facing the floor and yeah I think defensively you would because if you have those two you could sort of envision a, what the Cavs do where they have Mobley and Allen on the back line sort of protecting their guards and the perimeter like I think that's the sort of scheme you'd be looking at Um, I think long term yeah I, I think it's there's a it could be really a potent defensive tandem. So, and I think we're definitely going to see it this season. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait to see it. That's that's one of the main things I've been excited for this season. Um, and it looks like we're going to get to see it a bit earlier than I thought. Yeah, it's definitely great to you know kind of have this team getting healthy again because you know with that comes a little bit of experience in terms of they, they're getting Alec Burks back. He played his first game in a Pistons uniform against New York this past weekend. Um, very solid game for Alec Burks. I believe he had 14 points in that game. And then they're also, of course, they got Marvin Bagley back against the Celtics, his first game back, his first game actually of the season. And so what, what do those two bring to this team? We kind of, we had a question on our episode um, this past week of like, who's more important or will have a bigger impact to this team. And it seemed like I think Vinayak said Bagley and then Aiden and I said Alec Burks. What do you think about that question? In general, what do both of these guys bring back to this team? Well, I think Burks brings veteran ball handler, which clearly will help. Um, and obviously the three-point shooting. We saw him hit a couple of pull-up threes against the Knicks, got to the line a few times. Just, just someone who can come off the bench and give you 12, 13 plus points a night, every night. Um, and then Bagley, clearly someone who's just going to rebound, second chance points, and then a role man. Um, so I think they're both, it's, it's have, getting them both back will help the team for sure. And in terms of who's more important, I would say, I would say Burks, because I, uh, I'm a, I actually am a big Bagley believer, but I think Burks, just in terms of helping his team be competitive. Um, and we've seen how much the bench has struggled to score. I think they were at least 29th before that Knicks game the other night. Uh, so I think the scoring Burks brings from all, all areas on the court will really help this team. But I think Bagley, if he's deployed correctly um, to his strengths, also will be a really key piece off the bench. Yeah, I mean, I think I think short run right now, Burks is a lot more important just because you know we we talk we talk about the fit with Cade and Ivy a lot. I think that might give it a little you know 
back a little back off. You can, you know, we we talked about staggering uh Ivy and Cade with Burks, you know. So I think I think that would help a lot, but I think long run, we're talking like a year or two down the road. I think Bagley is a lot more important. So I think just making sure that he comes back healthy and that he he comes back, you know, ready to ready to go and that these injuries aren't going to linger on any longer. So I think, I think that's really important right now. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. I was just going to add, Oh, sorry. I was oh, just going go to ahead, add, go ahead. Go ahead. Add, clear, add, yeah. Clearly um, the front office sees a three man, a three big rotation of Duran Stewart and Bagley. And I think Bagley fits that role as first big off the off the bench quite nicely. He's an energy guy who can come in. Just get your points and rebounds in in short order. So, uh, I think yeah, long term definitely, I think Bagley can be a really valuable piece. Oh, for sure. I was about to say. So, speaking of the Pistons bench, one player that is, I would say, the most controversial player on the team. You you probably guess it. Number seven, Killian Hayes. Um, now he's looked good these past uh these past three games. I actually got the ability I was able to go to the Celtics game last night and I think I thought he played a pretty solid game he's under control I think he had like 15 points what are your thoughts on Killian so far I know this is this is a really controversial but what have, what have been your thoughts on Killian do you see the role of him do you see him kind of being that backup point guard kind of role do you think anything more I've seen stuff where it's just like get him out the league like he's not even an NBA player where are you kind of on this uh let's say spectrum of Killian Hayes for sure uh, I think Killian, I think the, the optimal version of Killian Hayes will not be in Detroit, but I think there's still definitely an NBA player in there. Um, clearly, an extremely rough start. I'd like to think I've been pretty optimistic on Killian in his first couple of seasons, um, just with the way he entered the league in COVID, serious hip injury. Um, you know, the past two drafts, the Pistons have use their, their highest selection on players that play at his position. So mentally, it's he's sort of been like shifted down the pecking order. Um, and then he's adjusted the stroke, which clearly struggled to start the year. So I think Killian, he's had to go th- through a fair bit. Um, uh, it's been really encouraging to see in the past three games. I think he's averaging 15, 5 and 5. And doing so and actually, for, for his standards, good efficiency. So... Um, yeah, I think there's definitely a backup point guard in there or that sort of off-ball guard, second guard. Um, it, for Killian, the, the main thing has always been just the confidence and aggressiveness. I get, I honestly feel like I say it all the time, and I'm sure I actually was listening to one of your guys' episodes. The word aggressiveness just gets used for Killian a ton because it's just a mentality thing for him. And that's what's been so cool about these past three games is it's not even like you know, he sort of started well and then he's missed a few shots, but he's kept shooting and he's actually gotten into the middle of the de- defense. Like that was a thing in the preseason I liked. He was like attacking and he had this nice little floater going hook shot. And then we just saw that disappear in his first five to 10 games. So to see him come back, start hitting some pull-ups in the mid-range, getting to the rim a bit more. And then obviously once the three's dropping, that sort of rounds out his game. So, um, yeah, as I said at the start, I don't think the optimal version of Killian's Pistons, but I still definitely think there's an NBA player in there. Not going to lie, V. Killian totally escaped my mind for how well he's playing. I thought you were going to say Hamadou. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, Jack, you know what? We got to ask you about Hamadou. <laughs> yep. that, that has been a hot topic on this podcast. Uh, you know, what What do you think of him this season? And will he be in, in a Pistons uniform? Honestly, by the end of this season, do you think he will? No, I don't think so. I, I Before the season, I didn't even think he'd be in the rotation. And I think he sort of was because of injury uh, to Alec, Alec Burks and a few others. So I think Harmi's just like, he has so many off-ball lapses and he just reminds me of Josh Jackson a little bit. Like, that's sort of who he's replaced this season. Um, he's can do a little bit on ball, but just with the, uh, yeah, the lack of sh- shooting. Um, I don't know, he has like five great moments and then three, four, five moments where you just like, come on, man. But come on, you're killing the team here. So, but 
I mean, I guess he's been deployed by Casey to play, so you can't. I mean, Hami is who he is. I feel like so. Yeah. I would prefer not to see him in the rotation, but I can see why he's been playing and he has had some nice games. So, yeah, but I think he's on the last year of his deal and I would be pretty surprised if they brought him back. Yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting in, in speaking of like Killian Hayes and Diallo because it's almost like, I, I can't help but think this all the time. With Killian, it's like, if he could, the aggressiveness and confidence that Diallo seems to have, like, man, I think that you would really be putting it together because the thing, not to switch back, but, like, the thing that, like, I've seen with Killian is that he's he's solid at running the pick and roll, but teams just play drop coverage and give him quite a bit of cushion when he's heading into the lane. And if he can develop that floater consistently, it's going to be so deadly because he's given at least, like, five feet of space almost right as he's running by and rubbing the pick. And so it's just you'd love to see that get going. And in general, I mean, with the shot, I've, I've been saying this kind of since he first got drafted. Killian doesn't need to be a big-time scorer in this league. He's a great playmaker. That's what's so special about his game. I mean, even against the Celtics, he freed guys up multiple times. I think he had seven assists in the game, I want to say. And he had some cross-court passes to Ivy for a couple threes to Bogdanovich. Like, it's there. With Diallo, on the other hand, I'm not sure if it's even there. Like we, we've been talking about that athleticism and so on, but the shot has gotten worse. I'm not sure that he's really developing the technical things that he needs to succeed in the NBA. Yeah. And actually, yeah, for sure. I, oh, sorry. There you go. My bad. <laughs> uh, actually, you can go ahead. I was also going to ask you, you also mentioned Killian's optimal fit is not with the uh, Detroit. And I also wanted to have you expand on that as well. Like, what do you, like, do you see him like just getting going on to is the is the Pistons set up like just it's just not built for success for him as well, and that's on a different team you think? Um, I just think there's with Ivy and K, you're already going to be once those guys become extension eligible. I mean, I'm assuming Ivy. I'm pretty confident in saying he'll be extended with the Pistons. I think we've seen in ten to twelve games, he's definitely at a long term pace. I just don't, I can't see the front office tying up money in Killian beyond his contract um, because you can find point guards off the bench pretty much. It's not hard to find. I mean, got Kojo, even though people want to rag on Kojo, he's a pretty solid backup. So you can find guys to play that position that you don't have to tie up money into. And I know Killian, as of right now, probably um, isn't going to be worth a lot in terms of an extension, but I just see. Look, I couldn't tell you a team off the top of my head because a lot can change by the time he's a free agent. But um, I could see a team maybe taking a flyer on Killian. Um, yeah, I just I don't see him with the Pistons playing his best basketball, I guess is what I meant by that statement, just because of the roster composition. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a very fair point for sure. Yeah, and... I, I don't know. You know, we, we all want to root for him. Um, you know, it's it's been a rough go, just as you said. He's had a couple injuries. The confidence levels have been um, relatively low. But to kind of switch gears into a few of these other young guys, Jalen Duran has been a very, very pleasant surprise so far this season. You know, he's it's not like he's getting – he's getting actually a decent amount of playing time. But it's not like he's scoring a ton, but there's so much other things that Jalen Duran brings to the court. Like, what do you think Duran's ceiling is in the NBA? Because it's a question that I think a lot of people have been starting to debate when you see these, like, freaky athletic plays. Yeah, I think his ceiling is that defensive anchor, starting five men. That's just – I would say that's the baseline for Jalen. Um, so, the, you know, we're seeing the shot blocking – rebounding I think he had 12 rebounds in 16 minutes last night like this guy's just gonna inhale rebounds for 10 plus seasons so um yeah there's things he can work on defensively some rotation stuff and just not being too shot block shot blocker happy um but offensively this is where the swing factor is for Jalen like Ken we've seen him practicing that mid-range jumper we saw him hit a turnaround last night they're not high percentage shots, but that's what you want him taking right now. This is the time to get your reps in. Um, 
his finishing and the rim's been a little bit concerning, but when you're that big and can just dunk anything, I'm not too concerned right now. Um, but the thing that intrigues me the most is his passing. We saw at Memphis him do some stuff out of the short roll, hitting corner shooters. Like, that's a really exciting stuff. And Troy Weaver said um, he was quoted in a piece by the ringer saying, everyone essentially saying something along the lines of like everyone just sees the physical attributes of Jalen, but it's he's a much smarter player than people give him credit for. And that's sort of what tends to happen with these athletic bigs is they get put into this just rim run and dunk sort of DeAndre Jordan style of player. Um, whereas I think there's a lot more to be unlocked with him. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, when the Pistons are contending, he's their second best player. I'll just say that. Wow. Okay. That, that's a pretty bold prediction, I feel like. But, you know, you bring up a good point. He's also 18 years old. <laughs> I mean, you know, this, this was yeah. the youngest player of the draft. I would assume because he's the youngest player of the draft, he's the youngest player in the league. And so just crazy to think about everything that he has ahead of him. Aiden Vinayak, I'll give you guys the same question. You know, what? what's the ceiling on this guy? Because I think there's just so many things to unlock, just as Jack said. You have the jump shot, like his back-to-basket game right now just hasn't really been touched. He also, keep in mind, didn't really have a legit point guard at Memphis to play pick and rolls with. And so he's just learning these things. What do you guys think, you know, in six, seven years, maybe even if it's not with the Pistons, let's say, um, where is he at in the league and what's he doing? Yeah, I mean, I think Penny Hardaway – is gonna get a lot of a lot of oh man we don't even need to talk about penny in the, in, right the, in the next few years for for wasting a lot of talent but yeah i mean i think we talked about over the summer like after the draft and stuff it was kind of a ma- it wasn't if he's gonna start it's kind of a matter of when he's gonna start over either stewart or bagley or whoever it's gonna be and i think i think that day is coming closer We've seen what he can do and just the the sad reality with Isaiah Stewart is his height limits him and he would be really good if he was Duran's height, but he's not. And that's, it is what it is. And I think, you know, when we start trying to contend for playoffs, Stewart can't be the starter. He can't, I mean, you know, maybe he's the guy if you play matchups, he he's in at the end of the game, but I think, Duran's the guy they want at in you know at the end you know starting playing you know you know 30 minutes a game so I think I think that's really important and I think his development like I mean we talked about that how young he is I mean Killian was wasn't he he was one of the younger players in the draft that he was in so I think taking taking those young guys you know we've seen both you know sides of the spectrum where Killian doesn't you know, paying out the way you want, but during there's a lot of upside and we saw it right away. So I think, I think, you know, yeah, during, I can see him being a top three player on a, on a championship level team, but it, it's a ways away, but he's definitely on the trajectory to be, you know, a starter on that championship level team. Yeah. I'll just add on, on that. So with Duran, there's some place where, I just see him as someone who's just a high energy, you know, can block shots, dunk the ball. But then yesterday against the Celtics, he had one play where he literally, it was just a turnaround shot. I don't know, Jack, if you saw it last night, he literally just hit like a turnaround fadeaway shot. And I was like, man, if he, if he adds like this into his game and you combine that with the pass and then you really have potentially like an all-star in the making, um, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that ceiling for Darren, you know, if the development keeps going and if he works his way into the, into the starting lineup, like I definitely see that possibility. Jack, I actually wanted to ask you about Dylan Duran. How does he compare to your favorite player and former Pistons legend Andre Drummond? Because that comparison, comparisons, like when when oh, you oh, you just you said former Pistons legend. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> no, was a legend. <laughs> I, that comparison been thrown around at least when they drafted him first, and I saw him first play. I initially just thought of there's a little bit like I see it's like. I think Duran's more athletic than Drummond in in ways for sure, but like the same idea. Just, uh, every time I see Duran play, I just sometimes just see Andre Drummond because you know a lot yeah. of things Duran is doing is kind of what we expected Andre to do, especially when Andre was a rookie and they didn't give him that much you know um, 
they didn't ask so much of him. You know, back in the day when it was just Will Bynum and Andre Drummond throwing oops. Like, I see a lot of that with Jalen Duran today. I want to actually get your thoughts. Yeah. Like, how did yeah. they uh, for sure? No, no, no. I get that comparison because there is similar similarity. So, I think the difference is Duran is 10 times a better rim protector. Andre, especially when he was younger, um, clearly a great rebounder and was really athletic. But he just... His rim protection was never great. Like for someone with that athletic profile here, I think he only would ever average around one block shot a game, which that's not everything to rim protection, but there was always just something missing there with the timing. Um, So I think for a start, Duran defensively is a much better prospect. And then offensively, the thing with Andre is how many times would we see him try and do these finishes where he just looked like a guard or he'd make Andre's just his IQ at times. He would just always be trying to do a little bit too much. And that I'm not saying, and cause you mentioned yes, Durant's in a limited role. So who knows, maybe he'll start jacking threes and we're going to be like, what's going on here. But I just see a much more. Yeah. There's a sort of maturity to his game that I don't think Andre ever really had um, a bit more self-awareness. I know these things are sort of hard to tell from watching on the TV, but it's just, uh, I don't know, you, you sort of hear things about Duran that just give me confidence. He's got the self-awareness and he's got the drive. Um, and I think he's just overall, yeah, like you said, more athletic. He's a, a little bit bigger. Um, but I think defensively, he's a lot better than Andre. Andre was sort of your hustle, um, your white side defender, uh, white side style of player, get a 20-20 and, a young Jack used to think that was awesome. But then when you actually look into it, you realize yeah. it's just sort of pattern stats. Uh, there is value, but yeah, Duran, I just think is a much better prospect. And I'll say, I'll say this too with, with Duran. Duran actually gets the chance to play with Kate Cunningham and Jane Ivey, two lead guards, whereas Andre Drummond's best guard is Reggie Jackson, who had his moments. Don't get me wrong. He had his moments, but injuries really got to him and they never really had a true point guard. So I think also the idea that, you know, with Andre, they wanted to make him the number one guy. With Duran, he doesn't have to be that. You know, he doesn't have to make the plays. You have Cade, you have Ivy, you have even Bay. Like, they have options. I think that's going to also, like, facilitate his growth for sure. Definitely. That's actually a great point. That's Andre, yeah, he never really had a great supporting cast around him. And he never should have been. He's yeah, He was always going to be a third or fourth option on offense at best. That's what it should have been, but he got cast into this role. Um, so, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and I think, you know, the other thing to mention briefly about Duran too, is the shot mechanics and the shot form are a lot better than Drummond ever had. You know, like like Jalen Duran has a little bit of like a hitch in at the release point at the top of his form or his, of his shot, but they'll figure that out. He has a solid form overall, especially for a big man. And so we've seen it briefly on a couple of those mid-range Jays, the turnaround yesterday against the Celtics. Like he, he's shown bits and pieces of it. And I know Rashard Lewis is working with him on the three-point shot. And so who knows? You know, I think that's much more of a possibility than it ever was for Andre Drummond, if that makes sense. But and you guys, you guys mentioned Cade and Ivy. This will be the last question on the Pistons specifically. Um, Jack, Cade has been ever since he was picked number one, and for good reason, it's a number one pick. He has been said to be the future superstar of Detroit and of the Pistons. Do you see him being that? Because there's times that, it, man, it, it looks so obvious. I mean, he had a four-game stretch where he had a usage rate in the top five in the NBA, and he was averaging 28, 8, and 8. Um, he was shooting a lot more shots per game, but he was making them shooting like 50% from the field. Um, let me ask you, like, do you think he's that number one option on a championship team in the long run, or is he maybe, maybe the number two? I think he's definitely going to be at least a number two. I think the, the thing with Kate is the, the intangibles he brings, like, Detroit finally has a bona fide leader. Like, since I've been a fan since 2012, I don't know. I guess Blake was a de facto leader. But there's just never been that presence of a genuine guy that can command the locker room, respect to the locker room. And as I said, that stuff's off court, but it filters onto the court. And I think at least he will definitely be at least that number two guy. 
what's going to take him to be that number one guy is one and the mid the mid range game's been awesome, but he still needs to improve his finishing around the rim. He needs to improve that three point shot. If those things are going to sort of level out where they are now, I don't think he can be that number one guy. But who knows? Jaden Ivey could be that number one guy. I I don't think just because Cade, if he's or if he's just going to cap out a twenty two point a game score, I still like. I think with Cade, the playmaking, just the all round package he brings. Even if he's not per se the number one guy on the team, he's still going to be the leader. Um, so I guess to answer your question, there's still a lot that needs to Kate needs to show to be that number one guy. Um, uh, so yeah, but I would say he's definitely at least that number two guy. Which if you get that at the number one pick, that's still pretty good. I mean, that's the thing. Just because he's number one pick doesn't mean you LeBron James or Luka Doncic. I mean, not that Luka went number one, but you know what I mean, like. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation we could get into about draft picks and expectations. Um, but I think they've definitely got a guy in Cade. Yeah, yeah. I'll ask that same question. Yeah, Aiden, if you want to pick up on that. Has well, there been I, anything I was that's just, changed? I I don't know, but I, I kind of wanted to go back to, to that draft thing a little bit. And like, you know, we talked we talked about Ivy and Cade fit, and it's like when you're drafting in the top five you're not drafting for fit you're drafting you're taking the most talented player and obviously you know i don't i don't want to beat a dead horse here but like you know going back to matherin obviously you know we're talking we're talking about that now but yeah i mean when you take when you take a player with that kind of talent the expectation is that he's the number one option and when you take you know ivy at pick five the expectation is he's you know the rob batman and robin kind of you know pairing but you know it it's not it doesn't always pan out that way and it hasn't you know we've we've seen probably the past i don't even know how many drafts where the number the number one pick wasn't the best player in that draft but someone within the top five was so i think yeah i i think obviously you're you're playing the lottery um but yeah i i could see him being the number two option but obviously that that's not gonna happen until you know 2023 or 2024 yeah yeah Vinay, any anything new this year that you've seen from k that's maybe changed your perspective from past years there's like times where like you said the four game stretch where i was like Man, Kate has it. Even at the beginning of the year, I was like, Kate has it. He just needs to just score the ball and stop trying to stop trying to pass the ball, let other players get hot. Cause I feel like he every game he plays, I feel like it's just like we're waiting for him to just have a scoring burst. And then sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't. I notice obviously if he's aggressive from the beginning, that leads to better success overall in terms of just his individual stats. I'm not gonna say for team wins per se, because the game, the games he's had monster games, the Pistons have like for example, the Atlanta game, he had it like thirty-five points. The team got blown out, so I don't want to correlate. But I feel like I still feel like he has it in him. I know the Celtics game he recently played it was one of his worst games. I think he was probably playing injured, and and I think there's there's also an element of two things. Like he's a he's figuring it out. He's just figuring out playing with, you know, playing with Jaden Ivey and Boyan Bogdanovich is a, is different from Jeremy Grant and Sadiq Bey and Sadiq Bey being more of a second option rather than now Sadiq is probably third, maybe third, fourth, depending on, depending on the night. I think that too. And then the shot, like, like we talked about early on, like, I think that ultimately was going to be the factor that I think kind of decides whether or not it's going to be the number one or two guy. It's actually interesting at Montverde when he was in high school, he wasn't even known as a three-point shooter. The three-point shot kind of came and it's not out of nowhere, but it was only really in Oklahoma State when you were like, okay, he has the jump shot. So it's kind of interesting. Like, Cade may, and I can agree, Cade may not be the number one guy, but he's going to play that connector role. Just like that Montverde team, they had like Scotty Barnes, Moses Moody. They had a bunch of talented players. And Cade didn't average, you know, like 30 points. He only averaged like 13 points a game. But like you said, he was like the connector role. And I think that's ultimately why Troy Weaver selected him at number one. So even if he's doing 22 points a game and he's not getting all the stats if the Pistons are winning games I don't think fans should have a problem with that nor do I think Cade, Cade Cunningham has a problem with that for sure that's kind of where I'm at with Cade but I I won't lie I love it to see when Cade's he's the one player on the team where 
if I check the box score and Cade has a good game, I'm always just I'm like, thank God. I'm always so happy every time he does good. No, for sure. I, I was saying to some guys the other week, like because at the start, Cade, how does a rookie every time he shoots a shot, my heart is like if it goes in, I'm like so relieved. Yeah. <laughs> if it misses, it's just like I don't know if you guys get that feeling of like I don't know, because you're still just waiting for him. We're still trying to figure out, yeah, like I guess this goes back to the whole question. Like, is he – because we all want him to be that number one guy. But, yeah, we're still just trying to figure it out. So each shot, every game he plays, it's like, oh, he is that. And then it's like, oh, no, he's not. So it's just – I think as well, like the roster's changed. Bogdanovich coming in later in this uh, off season. I guess it has helped, but it's still another piece you've got to adjust to. Um, and, yeah, we're – how many games in are we? 13, 12 or something. So, yeah, there's still plenty yeah. of time for him to prove he's that number one guy. No, yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think there's – it's a lot of recency bias as, re, you know, as recently, literally. But, um, no, because, like like we said, he – in the preseason, the first few games this season, everybody was saying, oh, my God, Cade Cunningham's not good, blah, blah, blah. They forgot about what he did after the All-Star break last year. Um, and then he puts together that stretch of four or five just amazing, amazing games. And then it's like, oh, Kate Cunningham's the next MVP. And so it's so, so early in all of this. I mean, we, we have so long to go, one, in this season, but two, just in the fit of all of these guys and all these pieces. You know, we'll start figuring out soon um, for a lot of these starters what their genuine role is. Um, I think we're starting to already realize what a guy like Killian Hayes, what he can do in the NBA, Hamadou Diallo to also add another one. Um, but, you know, right now they're kind of stepping on a lot of toes, right? Just between Ivy and Cade that fit together. It's just so new. Just We got to just give it time, I guess, so to say. And yeah, with Cade, I'm not really sure too much has changed. I mean, he's he's shown the capability sometimes to – be that number one score, but it's also a good point that you bring up, Jack, of like what what even is the number one option nowadays? Is that are we just being so obsessed with scoring and like it has to be 35 points? Because if that's what it is, maybe Cade's not that guy because he's shown the ability to do it, but he's so much more than that. He's a great playmaker. I mean, in that Orlando game, for example, in the season opener, 18 points. You know, if you look at that box score and you didn't watch the game, you're like, well you know, didn't have a great game, but 10 assists. He was so big in setting up the half-court offense. So, yeah, it's it's so early. You know, we got a long yeah, way to go. I think Cade as well, and um, like I was touched on earlier, like he – I watched some of his under – I think it was under-19 stuff for USA, and he's a pass-first guy. Like when the team's winning, he's a pass-first player, and I'm assuming that's what he did at high school. And then when he got to college, he had to adapt to being that number one guy because the talent level wasn't that great on that team. So I think just because Cade doesn't average 27, 28 points, he doesn't get to that mark. That doesn't mean he's not necessarily the best player or the the leader. Like, you know, he's always going to be taking the shots, making decisions in the fourth quarter like when it counts. So, and so I think still plenty to play out and no point stressing out about whether he's the guy or not until later in this season or even next season. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, we'll see what happens. We, we got, just as we said, it's been 14 games with three and 11. So 14 games, you know, we got 68 games left in this season, long, long way to go. Um, with that being said, Jack, very last question of today. Let me ask you who we love to give this to all of our guests. So who, who wins the championship this year? Who who are you going with? And again, it's so early, but who's your pick? And to add to any, oh, yeah. to add any other okay. thoughts, you mentioned you had other thoughts on the league. Feel free to give those as well, like just in general. Um, I think my championship pick would be the Bucs. They look like the most complete team. The offense has struggled a little bit at times, but They've made some changes with their defense. And, I mean, we saw it firsthand in a pair of back-to-back games in Milwaukee. Like, just between Brook Lopez and Giannis, it's impossible to score at the rim. They've changed their defensive scheme, so they're they're trying to limit three-point shooting more now. So I think it's hard to go past them. Still have Chris Middleton to come back. Um, And then Giannis is just the best player in the league, best two-way guy in the league. Like, so... 
Yeah, uh, it, in terms of championship pick, I've got the Bucks. Celtics, though, clearly we saw them as well last night without a few starting players, but Jason Tatum's just taken his game to another level. Like, the shot-making ability of this guy. Like, last night, he was just in the corner, just drained three straight in front of Jalen Duran. Like, we just talked about Duran, 6'11", 7'5", wingspan, the works, and he just rose, rose up and shot straight over the top of him. And um, so I'd say the Celtics and the Bucks for me. Um, I haven't watched a lot of West Coast ball, so I, to be honest, I don't haven't got many opinions formed, but I've, I have watched a lot of Lakers games. <laughs> just just because like over here in the mornings and I guess it's the same with you guys West Coast games are on later in the day so I'll get done watching the Pistons and then after a 20 point blowout I'll just watch the Lakers just crash and burn <laughs> That's yeah, that, yeah you see another 20 point blowout <laughs> yeah yeah helps alleviate some of the pain <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, yeah yeah Aiden and I I don't remember what all of our predictions were. I don't even remember my own to be honest but have your guys changed for who wins the the ship at the end? Or I want to say I said Golden State and either Brooklyn or Milwaukee, and Golden State not looking too hot right now. But I I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it right now for for now at least. I think we're not even to to Christmas yet, so I think that might change. But we're still we're still only like. A month into the season i've got a question for you guys if you don't mind me jumping in yeah go ahead so we're just, we're just talking about the warriors struggles there's a player there on the warriors who played for michigan state bit of a hot topic <laughs> yeah <laughs> would, now i don't want to get too much into trade specifics and signing but would you take draymond green on this team on this team, oh, that's a, let's I've say seen... sorry for for next season. So okay. say you've got him from next season for two to three years. Yeah, if the you do for, it? for me, if the contract is right, then yeah, I think Draymond is a player that I think winning teams just need to have a, a Draymond. Like if you had the, I mean, we kind of want that to be Isaiah Stewart. I always said like Isaiah Stewart, like he doesn't have the IQ of Draymond, but he's like kind of the heart. But if you literally brought Draymond who's the heart and soul of the Warriors to the Pistons from Detroit. I think, yeah, it's like a great, even if he's not like a good basketball player, he's a great player to just have on your team. And I think him holding players, I could, I could just see it. now I could see him holding like Killian accountable for like telling him to be more aggressive, similar to what he did with Jordan Poole. Like if, if the price was right, I'd be all in. I think it would really help the Pistons. No, I'm, I'm with you, Vinayak on that. I think like, it, but it can't be for again if the price is right is a very big asterisk yeah, to no, that I'm question because twenty I don't know exactly because yeah. at, at the point at this point in Draymond's career it's pretty clear as a player he doesn't bring it as much but the leadership and the knowledge for the game is just unparalleled to anybody else and so I mean I think this is a guy who will be an assistant coach in the NBA for a very long time if he wants to be a head coach he'll be a head coach. Um, but I think the leadership that he would bring with this young team would be fantastic. Also, you know, he's from, he's from Michigan. He knows the area, he knows what Detroit's about. And I know the fans, um, I feel like would, would love to have him. Yeah. I mean, I can see him being a head coaching at MSU. I, I could see him taking over for Izzo maybe, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a tough question. Cause I think, a lot of it matters on how the players around him respond to him because we saw with the Jordan Poole incident, like, you know, maybe Poole didn't respond the way that he wanted. So I think, I think that plays a factor. I think the way he leads someone like Killian Hayes, who's already had his struggles, he might shut down like even worse that, that, that could be a factor, but I think someone like Cade, would respond well to him so i think i think it yeah i think it depends it's really fit and i mean i i love draymond i've loved him since he was in college everything like he's still one of my favorite players but he's definitely a very niche player like he his role if he came to the pistons you know tomorrow 
would be a lot different than his role on the on the Warriors. So I think I think he he knows that as well. So I think I think for that reason, I don't know. I mean, I I'd still take it just just because. But yeah, I don't know how how great of an impact he would have uh, compared to being a Golden State. Yeah, you know it's it's a good question though, because because Jack, I've seen that on a lot of like articles online actually. Like Bleacher Report's done a couple of like Draymond getting traded to Detroit, so it's a it's a fair question. Um, and it would be really 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 interesting because as we said, you know he's from Michigan, he loves this area, so yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that will do it for this episode of the All Pistons podcast. For everybody still listening. As we always say, you're an absolute G for getting this far. Um, you know, as usual, hit us up on social media. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whatever you're listening on. And then hit us up on Instagram, on Twitter. We've been pretty active on there. Um, and Jack, thank you so much for joining us today. Any last thoughts from, from any of you guys? No, thanks so much for having me, guys. I mean, I think just important to remain patient patience is key um i get the frustration but i do think ultimately the team is heading in a a really good direction and it finally with troy weaver we actually have direction feel like the past decade uh, from 2012 to at least 2020 21 was just meandering in mediocrity so i think remain patient and good times ahead for sure. Also, Jack, do you want to plug your socials as well? Like, where can people find you and uh, your Twitter and everything? For sure, man. Yeah, pretty much uh, Jack underscore Kelly underscore three on three on Twitter. Um, and yeah, just uh, write for Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. So check out, I've got a piece on Jaden Ivey dropping this week, um, just sort of going through his first and also games. So yeah, check it out. Always feel free to hit me up in DMs if you want to chat hoops. Most definitely, most definitely. So yeah, we will uh we will have to do this again, I think. You know, great conversation, Jack. And yeah, make sure to again for all the fans out there listening, um, stay tuned to the All Pistons podcast. Like we said earlier, we'll be trying to upload weekly and and likely on Mondays. So be on the lookout for that. And we'll see you next time on the All Pistons Podcast.